Tonight, what I want to talk with you about is a valued life. And I want to give you some context uh, uh, of, of where we're going in the Word with this, is a valued life. And as you just open your Bibles to John 14, 6, you can just keep it there. You know, we all value someone or something, whether it's either people, belongings, memories, or moments, we all value or hold dear. Wow, thank you, Brother Eddie. We all value or hold dear something dear to our hearts, okay? It could be an accomplishment. Okay, if you're graduating and you worked hard, yes, thank you, God. I, I'm really going to value this degree. You know, if you've given birth to children, if you've raised them and they're out of the house, you value when they were born and then you value whenever they've moved on. You know, you value those seasons because you recognize those blessings that God has given in your life. Okay, uh, but what I want us to look at is how God values our life. He holds our heart close to his heart. That's vital. I'm going to say that again. God values our life. And the way that he values our life is he holds close to his heart, our heart. Did I say that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. In other words, it's not whenever he looks at us, even though he's given us gifts, he's given us talents, okay? And all of our provisions, they come from him anyway whether we claim them to be ours or not. All of them come from him anyway. But that's not what he values because it's not really ours, it's his already. But what he values is that which we give to him, our hearts. Our hearts where our new life begins. He values our hearts because before we can receive, before we can experience all the incredible and the great, the callings and the plans and the, like, like, uh, Dr. Seuss has a book that says, all the places that we will go. If you've ever read it, it's awesome. Read it. Okay. I didn't think I was going to say that, but God desires he, all the places, all the things that he has created and called us to do. In order for us to step into them, in order for us to receive them, we have to give him what is most important. We have to give him our heart. We have to give him our heart. Okay, he knows that for us to experience the valued life that he has for, what are some of those values? The value of love, of purpose, and significance. This can only come from a new heart transformation by God's only son, Jesus. John 14, 6, it says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. It's like he said, listen, guys, I have incredible things. I'm the creator of heaven and earth. A life with me is going to be adventurous. There will be trials. Yes, there will. There will be things that you'll have to endure, but I promise you, you'll never get bored. I promise you, you'll have a life of significance. You'll have a life of purpose. Your life will have a life of meaning. Okay? Your life will be surrounded with love. Okay? But you have to know, it begins with, I am the way. And I am the truth. And for you to find, for you to experience that valued life, I am that life. I am that life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. I, you have access to the valued life that I give you 
because I valued you so much, I gave my only son for your life. There's an exchange. There's an exchange. Ephesians 2, 4 through 8. We're gonna, we're gonna read this entire scripture says, but God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so very much that even while we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's special favor that you, and I won't say I, have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms all because we are one with Christ Jesus. And so God can always point to us as examples. Look to somebody next to you, say example. I'm going to continue. Of the incredible wealth of his favor and kindness to us as shown in all he has done for us through Jesus Christ. God saved you for his special favor when you believed. And you cannot take credit for this. Look to somebody say, you can't take credit for this. All right, I'm going to continue. It is a free gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he has planned for us long ago. When you think of the word value, and I'm going to give a definition uh, I'm going to look at a noun. I'm going to look at a verb. Uh, a definition, a person's principles or standards, behavior of what is important in life. A verb definition is consider someone or something to be important, have a high opinion of. A synonym is to appreciate, hold in esteem, hold in high regard, hold dear, have high opinion of, think of highly, think much of, uh, cherish and treasure. When you think of that definition, when you think of that, that is God's expression. That is God's thoughts. That is God's feelings towards you. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because he declared it long before you and I were ever born. Well, Dixie, what did he do to declare that? The cross. His love, his value for us is unconditional. His value for us cannot be removed, okay? Because the work that he did on the cross sealed us to experience the exchange of us to have a valued life. Did you see that? You see that? In order for us to experience our value, not in, okay, I have something to give you, um, you know, I have a gift, I have a talent. No, my life is important. Not because of anything that I have. But it's important because who God says I am and what he has done on the cross for me. And there was an immediate exchange that took place in my heart. You know, I am not my own. Okay. Who determines if a life is valued? God does. God does. Ephesians 2, 4 through 8, just describe that. Just describe that. It says, we are his examples of the incredible wealth of his favor and kindness towards us. He he gave his only begotten son, his only son, for the very thing that he loved and valued the most, you and I. You and I. So what determines if a life is valued? God does. 
He, he is the one who forgives our sin. He is the one who died on the cross. He is the one who rose from the grave. He is the one who gives eternal life. And he is the one that gave us his spirit that dwells in us. The very, and I don't want to say it's not the system, the very essence of who he is, the very plan that he put in action to create the heavens and earth, to send Jesus to die on the cross, to raise Jesus from the dead, to give us his spirit and live inside of us. It declares that our life is valuable to him. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work for, for, for people that, that rejected him. That's a lot of work for people that sought out to kill him. That, that's a lot of effort right there. But he pressed on because he saw from the distance. He saw from the distance. He saw my name. He saw Blue's name. He saw Freddie's name. He says, I value them. And even though they don't know me yet, I know them. And I have a purpose. And I have a plan. And I have a purpose for their life. I'm going the extra mile. So the work that I do on the cross, have done on the cross, it is going to remove any doubt. Any hindrance of them not having full access to experience the love, the purpose, and the plans that I have for their life. That's how much God loves us. So when you wake up in the morning and your entire schedule has gone a different way, when you wake up in the morning and you feel like, man, what is today all about? Why am I here? I'm just in the grime of doing things over and over again. My friends, you can declare over yourself. Remember the cross. The cross declares that my life has value. You know? All right. Um, uh, one of the most defining experiences of my life is when in my 20s, my, my best friend had a child. And, and if you've never had an opportunity to witness a birth, it really is an amazing thing. And so um, she had gone into labor early. Um, and so as we're, you know, just your adrenaline is right. It's her first baby, first new experience, you know? And so, um, uh, you know, she's been in some hard labor at this time for, uh, quite some time. And, um, and, and her mom is over there praying in the spirit and getting louder every time she has a contraction. And so I'm just like... God can hear you when you pray silently, you know, and then nurses and doctors are coming in and out and just the, it's an excitement, but it's a very, um, uh, it's an intense atmosphere as well. Because one thing about, um, when, when you're given birth, you are at the most vulnerable state that you will ever be in in your life, without a doubt. And so uh, as the nurse is in there and the doctor's not even there. Matter of fact, we get into such intense moments of labor. I'm, I'm serious. My mind is thinking, I'm going to have to deliver this baby. I don't know where the, we're in the hospital. I don't know where the doctor is, you know, and it's like wee hours in the morning. I was like, I'm going to have to deliver this baby. So I'm trying to psych myself out. <laughs> I really am, you know, and cause it's even though I know, Hey, they've done this many, many, many times before. Uh, I knew the doctor, and um, that was not his first rodeo by far. Uh, but they just weren't around, you know. And so the labor is coming intensive, and, and labor comes intensive. And also, the nurse says, "Oh, well, well, uh, he's coming." And the nurse and I have the same view. I don't know what she's seeing, because what she's seeing and what I seeing are not the same thing. I see no life. I just see pain. 
you know. And so I'm, I'm trying to encourage my friend. Yeah, okay, baby's coming. And, um, and I, t- and I'm thinking that nurse is lying to her to try to help her to, to, to push more, you know. And so, man, she's bearing down and she's pushing. Oh, dear Lord. And, uh, and the nurse says, here come, here comes a baby. And I'm still thinking, nurse, I'm at the same angle as you and I see nothing. <laughs> I'm serious. Nothing. You know, and I just, I'm hearing pain. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing it. But, um, and so finally, whatever the nurse, uh, the same uh, angle that the nurse and I had, doctor's still not in the room. Um, the, the baby is crowned. And when the baby is crying, I'm like, oh, there, 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 there it is. It's, 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 it's life. And finally the doctor comes in. And so she's bearing down and, and I find myself mesmerized because you are seeing life come forth. It's not like anything else, but boy, there sure was some pain. There sure was some labor, you know, and, and, and this defining moment, and I'm not wanting to miss anything because I'm here offering her support, but I'm stunned. I'm just, I'm just mesmerized and I'm fixed and I'm thinking, and I'm starting to pray quietly in the name of Jesus, open this womb because I don't see how this is going to happen, you know, and she just gave one push and that precious baby just flew out flew out. And as, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, this is the point of the story. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, Dixie, he said, out of all the seven wonders of the world, from the Grand Canyon to the Taj Mahal, you name them, this is the most cherished and the most beautiful. This is the most cherished and the most beautiful. And before his name is Ian, before his name was ever given to him, God knew who he was. Before you and I, before our names were ever given to us, God knows who we are. He knows what we're going to face. He loves us and he values us, you know, and only what I could do would just, I was, I was just in awe. I was in awe. One reason, because after the baby was born, the nurse said, oh, he, he's small. And I just looked at her like, I just saw a head, two arms, and a leg, and all the toes. That's nothing small. That's a full grown, you gave, that's a full grown baby. And he was five nine. <laughs> so that was small. But what I'm saying is, is that even if you have never heard someone say, I value you. I love you. The fact that you're even breathing declares that God values and loves you. Because he breathed life into you. And then if we need another reminder. Because you know, sometimes we need some reminders. I needed in that moment, when that birth, I needed a reminder. I do not see how this is going to happen. We need reminders. God said, I'm going to give you another reminder. He sent his son, Jesus. Our life has tremendous value. Why are we valued? Because we're his. We're his, but there's two sides of that coin. We are his creation, but in order for you to be called his son or his daughter, you have to have that heart transplant. 
And God wants us to experience both exchanges. Because yes, after, after, uh, in the beginning when he created the heavens and the earth and after he, you know, he breathed life into man, we were the only ones that he said, wow, this is very good. He didn't put a very in front of the, the lions, the tigers, and the bears. He didn't breathe life into them, but he took time and he breathed life into us. So this is very good. So who determines if a life is love, if a life is valued? God does. Why are we valued? Because we are his. John 3, 16 through 17, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. The cross is an ever, uh, an, an everlasting demonstration of God's unconditional love and value for our life. Okay? John 10, 10, it says, The, thief, the thief's purpose, speaking about Satan, is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose, God, is to give life. My purpose is to give life to its fullness. That exchange that I was talking about, going from a creation to, uh, uh, to being a child of God, takes place in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. It says, and I will give you a new heart with new and right desires. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take out your stony heart of sin and give you a new obedient heart. And I will put my spirit in you so you obey my laws and do whatever I have commanded. Do whatever I have commanded to you for you. Okay. And so there's three things I would like for us to look at tonight. One, how uh, to live a valued life. How to live a valued life. And we're going to take from the life. One of my favorite Bible characters is Moses. I'm sure some of you, whenever you came, when you, when you came to church, you saw me carrying a slingshot and you saw me carrying a shepherd's staff. It's not something that I normally put in my wardrobe. It's something for a visual at the end. Okay. And so we're not crazy. We just don't walk around. Hey, here's my staff, you know, but, uh, it's for, it's for an, an application purpose at the end. But I'd like for you to turn your Bibles to uh, Exodus three. And we're just going to kind of camp out at Exodus 3 and 4. And we're going to, to look at some, some things. I love the dialogue that Moses and God had. You know, cause Moses, the, the incredible things that Moses accomplished in his life. Uh, but he was human. And so his fears, his frustrations, uh, he just was extremely real with God. Okay. And so we're gonna, uh, I'm gonna set up in Exodus 2, 11 through 22. Um, Moses, obviously he was a Hebrew, but I'm gonna fast forward, um, because the children of Israel at this time had been uh, enslaved for, uh, uh, 400 years that, um, um, his mother did not want him to be caught in that trap. And so she put him in a bat. Um, this is a really paraphrased version. She put him in a basket. Uh, um, flowed him down the Nile River. Uh, Pharaoh's daughter came along and found him, adopted him. So then uh, Moses was raised and educated. It's very important. He was educated uh, in the ways um, uh, of royalty, you know. And uh, it was discovered, or he found out that he was Hebrew, and um, and he had a heart for uh, the the uh, children of Israel. And so um, in Exodus 2, 11 through 22, it says that um, Moses had grown up and he went out to visit his people and he saw that um, 
one of the Egyptian soldiers were beating, was beating a Hebrew slave. And, um, and it just obviously made him angry, very understandable. And so <clears throat> when he thought nobody was looking, he killed him. And then he covered him with sand. He wasn't perfect. But because God's love and because God's value, God did not X out his name, forget about him, or hold that very thing that God knew he had done against him. Okay? Moses believed God. He loved God. Okay? And um, and so because he realized that, uh, obviously he had murdered, and so whenever he uh, went into town the next day, um, uh, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. And Moses said, hey, man, don't do that. That's wrong. And then one of the Hebrew men said, well, it's like, well, at least I didn't kill him. And it's like, whoa, Moses, oh, 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 dude, you saw me, you know, kill that person. And so he fled because it got back to Pharaoh and, and Pharaoh was going to, uh, heard about it and Pharaoh was going to arrest him and have him killed. But the Bible says that Moses fled and escaped to the land of Midian. Okay. And so uh, this is where uh, our scripture in Exodus 3, 9 through 13, our text for tonight begins to pick up. Okay. Jesus is speaking. He says, the cries of people of Israel have reached me, and I have seen how the Egyptians have oppressed them with heavy tasks. Now, God is speaking to Moses. At this particular time, uh, there was a burning bush. It wasn't being consumed. God uh, used that as a sign to get Moses' attention, and it was effective. Okay. And told Moses, hey, I have something I want to share with you. Come to me closer. Take off your sandals. You're on holy ground. And so here their dialogue begins. Okay. Uh, he says, Moses, now, I, now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You will lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is Moses' response. But who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Moses asked God, how can you expect me to lead? Remember, he's speaking to God. The Israelites out of Egypt. Then God told him, I will be with you. And this will serve as proof that I have sent you. When you have brought the Israelites out of Egypt, you will return here to worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested. If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me, they won't believe me. They will ask, which God are you talking about? What is this name? What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied, I am the one who always is. Just tell them I am sent me to you. That wording was not an accident with how God described himself. God was declaring, I am the only authority here. God was declaring, if I'm sending you, if I am calling you, who is there to question it? Who is there to come against me? Who is there? I don't, God doesn't go and seek counsel. God doesn't go and say, Hey, man, I need some protection over here. God is. And so whenever he was declaring, I am the one who was and always is, he was declaring, There is no other authority but me. There is no other one that can, that can move mountains, that can do greater things, that can remove people from 400 years of bondage. I am able to do this. He was declaring, you don't need to question me. That's what that, when he was says, I am the one who always is. He was declaring, 
before the children of Israel. He was declaring, I'm the one who always is, knowing that, that they were going to be uh, freed and in the wilderness. God was already declaring before Moses even knew, I'm going to be the fire by night. I'm going to be the cloud by day. I'm going to be the manna. I'm going to be the water. God was declaring when he said, I am the one who always is. He was declaring who he was far beyond Moses could even see because Moses was held by time in that moment. God is not constrained by time. God is not constrained by circumstances. God is not constrained by, by generations. You say, what do you mean, Dixie? There's Boudreaux's, there's Thibodeau's, there's Richard's, there's Menard's. And we all have family histories and we have things in our family that can be passed down to generation to generation. Things that can hurt us or things that can help us. And God is saying, I am not constrained to, to not being able to use you by your last name because I am the one who was and is and always is to come. Do you see that? He was declaring. Listen, Moses, I know what you did with that soldier. I know that you have experienced rejection at a very young age. I know that your people have been oppressed for 400 years. I, I know this isn't something new to me. But Moses protested. And then he says, and God is standing, he says, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This will be my forever name. It has always been my name, and it will be used throughout all generations. And Exodus, then we're going to drop down to Exodus 4, 1 through 17. But Moses protested again. Look, they won't believe me. They won't do what I tell them to do. And so God brought him through two signs. He said, hey, Moses, you have a staff. Yes, Lord, I have a staff. Throw it down. Okay, I threw it down. It turned into a snake. Scripture says Moses was terrified and ran away. In that moment, I'm just saying, maybe that's where he got his stutter from. But regardless, he was terrified. He didn't, you know, and then God said, Moses, Pick, pick up, pick, pick it back up. The moment he picked it back up, it turned into a staff. Okay. Then God said, Moses, I want you to take your hand. I want you to place it, uh, in your, in your jacket, in your cloak. Okay. So he did that, you know, and then he took it out and it was white as leprosy. And then God says, Hey, I want you to put it back in. So he put it back in. He took it out and then it was healed. God began to walk through every insecurity, every fear of what Moses was going through. God was extremely gentle. He was extremely patient with Moses. But this is in verse um, uh, Exodus 4, verses um, 10. It says, but Moses pleaded with the Lord. Lord, I'm just not a good speaker. I never have been. I'm not now. Even after you have spoken to me, I am clumsy with words. That was amazing. He says, Lord, I'm not now. I'm not even as I'm speaking to you now. I'm not good with words. Words. And the Bible says that Moses pleaded, Lord, send someone else. And then the Lord became angry with Moses. He said, all right, what about your brother? And so he called him over there. But at the end, verse 16, he says, Aaron will be your spokesman to the people and you will 
Be as God to him, telling him what to say. And be sure to take your shepherd's staff along so you can perform the miracles I have shown you. There's three things I want us to look at from the life of Moses. How to live a life, how to live a valued life. One, know who created you. Know who created you. The Egyptians had many, many false gods. But God was even declaring in that moment, I, with God and Moses, I am the one. Not Pharaoh, not the education that you received in the palace. I am the one that has created you for such a time as this. We discover and experience life of his great love, of his great value for us, and our relationship with God. And he wants us to embrace that our value comes from him. In order for you to know your value, in order for you to know who you are, in order for you to know your purpose, in order for you to live a life of significance, it is going to come in the relationship with our creator. And I specifically chose the words with creator because many people will embrace a false God to try to give them significance, to try to give them purpose. But Jesus is the one and only true God. Jesus is the one and only God that is living. Jesus is the one and only God that is, that raised from the dead and, and left us his spirit living within inside of us. He is the one and only God. And in order for our life, in order for us to have that life exchange, it is going to come with a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139, 13 through 18. It says, um, you made me whole. You made my whole being. You formed me in my mother's room. I praise you because you made me an amazing and wonderful way. Now, I want you to rest your mind on that for a moment. He made you in an amazing and wonderful way. You and your spouse, and your children, and your co-workers, and your neighbor that gets on your last nerves. Every person, human being, that God breathed life into, he made them in a wonderful way. He said, well, Dixie, I don't know. You should see some of the characters. No. If they're not experiencing the fullness of life, it's because They have not received who their creator has made them to be. See, the very heart cry that God was encouraging Moses is, listen, I want to free them. I've heard their cry. I've heard their pain. They've been surrounded by all these false gods. They've been made to be slaves. I'm done. I'm sick and tired of it. I told Moses I was going to deliver him. I'm here. You're the one I'm calling. You're the one I'm sending. Let's go. Okay? And then it says, What you have done is wonderful, and I know this very well. You saw my bones being formed as I, as, as I took shape in my mother's womb. When I was put together there, you saw my body as it was formed. All the days planned for me were written in your book before uh, before I was one day old. 
God, your thoughts are precious toward me. They are so many. If I could count them, they would be more than all the grains of sand. And when I wake up in the morning, I am still with you. Even when we're sleeping, his thoughts are still on us. But what does the scripture say? I know this very well. It's interesting to me as, as David was writing this uh, scripture, he did not make men, he did not make mention of his dad. He did not make mention of his, uh, of his skills as a warrior, of a giant killer. He didn't make mention of all of that. He didn't say, man, thank you, God. I just tore the tar out of that giant. He didn't mention all that. That was, that was funny, tore the tar. Anyway, what he did say is, I know very well you made me amazing. You made me wonderful. Why? Because in order for you and I to embrace the very things that God has called and created us to do, we have to know that it's God who is calling us and creating us to do this. Not a fad. Not just somebody who has a good idea, but it's God. Is his ways are perfect. His plans are perfect. When he gives us an instruction, it's not there for us to fail. It's there for us to flourish and soar because he values our lives. Because Moses did not value his life. In verse 10, he proceeded to criticize God's own creation. He criticized himself. Lord, I can't speak. I stutter. I stumble. A sign in our lives when we are not valuing the very precious life that God has given us. When we are, when we do not see ourselves the way that God sees us is when we begin to criticize ourselves. And sometimes we do it as in a joke. And God is saying, what are you doing? What, what are you doing? Don't make fun of yourself. Don't criticize yourself. You are precious. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Because the last thing that God wants us to do is to create a breeding ground of doubt of the very things that God has created us and called us to do. So how to live a life value, how to live a valued life. One, know who created you. Know who created you. Matthew 6, 13, to, 13 through 23. Jesus is is uh, talking to uh, some of his disciples and he asked them the question, who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answers, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, wow. He didn't say that. He said, well, you are blessed. You are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from human beings. Now I say to you, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will conquer it, will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys to the kingdom. See, God wants us to know who created us because the more that we know his heart, we will hear his voice. And the more that we spend time with him, whenever he begins to, hey, I got a plan for you. Hey, I got a purpose for you. You're going to come to that. Oh, Lord, are you sure? You Call somebody else. Find somebody else. Because it's always going to be something bigger than you can ever do in your own ability. And I will always be something that is far better than what we deserve. 
but it's his value for our lives as our heavenly father. So we're going to run into like, oh my goodness, I, I don't know if I can do this. No one in my family has done this. Oh my goodness, I don't know if I can. Do you know what I did? Moses was faced with this. Do you know who my people are? Do you know what I did to that surge, to the, to that soldier? And this is what you want me to do. You want me to be the deliverer of the children of Israel? Yes. Yes. That just shows the heart. And the value that God has for us. Who are we to argue when God says, I've called you. I've chosen you. For a great and a mighty purpose. But in Matthew 6, 13 through 23, it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be, shall be loosed in heaven. God wants us to know who our creator is because then we will identify and walk in the very authority that he has called us to walk in. He's like, listen, you're going to be faced with adversity. You're going to be faced with uh, people laughing and making fun of you. You're going to be faced with the thought of inferiority. But when it comes, I want you to know, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And you bind up that thought and you remove it. First of all, you got to recognize it. And if it doesn't come from me, then you remove it. That's why we have to know who our creator is. When we know our creator, we know his heart. When we know our creator, we know our purpose. When we know our creator, we know that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. When we know our creator, we know his heart. And our heart is infused with hope that there is something better than what I'm going through right now. Does that make any sense? Okay. Number two. So how do how to live a valued life? Know who God created. Excuse me. Know who created you. Number two, how to live a valued life. Obey his calling for you. Obey his calling for you. I have a, a statement and, and, I, and I couldn't get past it. It said, I want you to push past the fear and pursue obedience. You're going to be faced with fear. Because the father of fear is Satan. And he is always going to use fear to try to hinder you from pursuing obedience and the purpose that God has planned for your life. You got to push past it. You got to push past it. God did not ignore, dismiss, or find ridiculous Moses' fears. But he listened to him. He heard him out. God was a gracious God. He kept on giving him sign after sign. He could have just given him one sign. One sign with a staff turning into a stick, turning back into a staff. That would have been enough. One sign, seeing a burning bush, and God saying, come, take off your shoes, John, hold around. You would think that would have been enough. But God goes the extra mile, whatever you and I need in our relational exchange so that we know, listen, God knows us better than anybody else. He knows our frustrations. He knows our fears. He knows our inadequacies. He knows our inferiorities. You know, he knows that thing that is going to try to hinder us from moving forward. And he will address it. He's not going to ignore it. He's not going to bear it. He's not going to push it. He's not going to push it back. He listens and cares and talks to us with truth. Moses pleaded with the Lord, but God in his grace. Moses faced fears of inferiority of inadequacy, fears of comparison, and fear of failure. I'm not going to strive or pursue that dream. I will simply fail. They're not going to listen to me. He's telling this to God. Those leaders aren't going to listen to me. They're going to say, who sent me? Where there is fear, 
there will be a lie intertwined to choke out that plan of God for your life. Because Satan is the father of lies. Or there's fear of rejection. Sometimes it is hard for, we love God, we value God, but to push past that fear of rejection. We'll have the mindset, they'll think I'm stupid or crazy, so I'm just not going to try. It's not worth the pain or the heartbreak. God is there to give us the grace and the strength to push past that fear, to, to pursue obedience. I heard someone recently say, um, how they say that uh, even though when fear comes, do it if you're, still do it if you're afraid. Just still do it. Don't give up. Don't give up. Okay. Isaiah 41, 9 through 10. It says, I have chosen you and not rejected you. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not be, do not anxiously look, look out about you for I am with you. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you. Whatever the purpose, whatever the plan that God is either, either has for you or is stirring up on the inside of you, you can trust him. It is for your benefit. It is for the benefit of all the world. It is God's heart to see you succeed and not fail because he values you. He doesn't want you to just take up space or just take up air and breathe. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. But if you and I do not see that our lives have value, then we will settle for something that is less than the royalty that God has for his children. There's something about royalty. Royalty are identified. Royalty are respected. Royalty are honored. My friends, you are royalty. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. He loves and he values your life. And it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your family history, your family background. If you have asked God to live inside of you, there is life and there is purpose that is breathing on the inside of you. Because God's word says he has made you amazingly in a wonderful way. I encourage you when you wake up in the morning, it might seem ridiculous, but you might need to look at yourself in the mirror and say, wow, God, thank you for making me amazing and wonderful. Don't just say it to yourself, I'm amazing and wonderful. No, because who God says you are, who he's created you to be. And in closing, one, to obey his call for you, Pursue past the fear and pursue obedience. Push past the fear and pursue obedience. Number three, to give to others what he has done inside of you. I noticed that there was three things that Moses encountered. Whenever we began to um, ask, God, why am I here? What is my purpose? What is your will for my life? You're going to encounter the whens, the wheres, and the whats. You're going to encounter those. And it is vital not to rush to dismiss, to resent, or resist, but walking slowly through the seasons of training and pruning of your character when the whens, the wheres, and the whats come. Because in Moses, he had a Jetro at a season, and that Jetro provided covering and counseling. 
Then in a season, he had an Aaron and Ur, and they were collaborators. They helped hold up his hands. They were teamwork whenever he defeated the army of the Amalekites. But then in another season of his life, he had a Joshua. He had that counterpart. Something that completes one having the same function or characteristics as another. He was able to pass on the baton. Anything, anytime that God begins to do anything in our lives, it will always involve people. God has not created to isolate us. If you find yourself wanting to isolate, if you find your, your mind becoming heavy with, I don't know if I can continue this. What, why am I even here? You know, uh, what has my life contributed? I want you to remember the cross. For God so loved you that he gave his one and only begotten son. And he loves and he values your life. And he has a plan and a purpose. You and I have something to offer. I read in a book recently by John Maxwell, The 15 Invaluable Laws of Growth. It says, if you live life with the intention of making a difference in others' lives, your life will be full and not empty. I'm going to say it again. If you live life with the intention of making a difference in others, your life will be full and not empty. I heard Brother Todd say the other day, pride and selfishness is the thief that robs us from impacting others' lives. I had to write that down. That was good. Give to, so how do we add value, how to live a valued life? One, know who created you. Two, obey his calling for you. When you're faced with fear, when you're faced with inferiority, when you're faced with comparison, it's going to be there. Push past the fear and pursue obedience. Number three, give to others what he has done inside of you. Every one of you has something to offer. Every one of you has something to offer. See, I'm sure that whenever David, when he had his, his sling, before he went on that battlefield, he was given the opportunity to, to uh, place himself in Saul's armor, but it wasn't the right fit. He just couldn't, couldn't function with it. So then he went and he got a slingshot. But when he went on the battlefield, he didn't declare his name. He didn't declare, I'm David, the son of Jesse. He didn't declare, I've been attending those sheep, so I have good skills. He didn't declare what his experience was in life. He didn't declare, let me tell you something, what I've been through. I'm the youngest. I've been through a lot of brothers who bullied me, who rejected me. So I'm, I got a lot to offer to the table. He didn't declare that. When he got up there, he says, you come to me with a sword and with a spirit, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And today he will deliver you in my hands. He came to God. David came to Goliath knowing his creator. David came to Goliath pushing past the fear and obedience. And gave, and because of that, God gave him victory. God promoted him. God gave him favor. He came with what he had himself. Just as Moses. Moses did incredible things with a shepherd's staff. You can go ahead and stand to your feet right now. 
But many times we will want to wrestle in our minds, God, I don't have anything to give. I don't have anything to give. Who am I to do anything significant to? Who am I to to do something great for you? God is saying, if you give me your heart, you are mine. And all the provisions, all the promises that I have available to my children, they are now extended to you. This merely was a reminder when Moses was walking and he was facing the Red Sea. God, you, you, you told me to do this, but I don't see how I'm going to cross it. God wants to remind us as his sons and daughters, he will never leave us or forsake us. But he wants us to know who he is and who we are in him. Because that will change our attitude and our perspective in every situation and in life that we face. Acts 20, 24, it says, But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news of God's wonderful kindness and love. There is some story that you have that you've overcome. There's something that you might be walking through right now that you could bring encouragement to others. God wants you to give to others what He has done on the inside of you. If it's hope, if it's encouragement, if it's unconditional love, if it's wisdom, you have something to offer them. But if you don't realize that you are a valued treasure of God, you will isolate yourself miss out on the fulfillment of and the significance of life that God has for you. See, when we give our heart, then we experience the fullness of a valued life. And it starts with us giving Him our life. I've asked the worship team in closing, if we could sing this song, Who You Say I Am. Who You Say I Am. And I just encourage you to sing this song as a prayer. And then as we do this, then we're going to close in prayer. Okay?
I've done, but I know my Creator loves me. I know my Creator has a plan for me, and I know He's changed my story. I once was drunk, but I'm sober. I once was broken, but now I am whole. He has done something in your life, and He wants you to give and impart that story, impart that hope into somebody else's life, church. Because the greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. He believes in you. He loves you. But you've got to believe that He believes in you and that He loves you. So in closing, I just want you to close your eyes and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna ask you two things. If you're here today and you say, Dixie, I don't know Him. That's where your valued life begins. You say, Dixie, I don't know Him. I've been beaten, I've been mocked, I've been made fun of, I've been rejected. I don't know him of his love. I want to know him. If that's you, just raise your hand and we'll pray for you. And the second thing, I just want you, I'm gonna just kind of pray this over you right now. So as you're just in an attitude of prayer, Father God, I thank you for each person in here that Lord, that you believe in them that you love them, that they are not a failure, that they are not a mistake, they are not forgotten, but you have chosen them and you have called them your very own. Father God, may they experience and know of your unconditional love and value for their lives. And may they take that truth, may they take that life exchange and may they share it and give it with other people so that their life could be transformed and they can have the hope in Jesus that you have given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, we love you. We thank you that you joined us tonight. If you need anything for prayer, we're up here. God bless you. Good night.